Um, I'm really excited to begin this conversation uh, starting tonight. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be examining really how you can live the best possible life. That's really what we want to talk about because I know in this season of life, in this time of your year, um, everything is going to start trying to take your attention and take your emotions. And so what we want to do is look through the book of 2 Peter to try to evaluate how we can find what the best possible life looks like and how we can live that. And so when we say it's the book of 2 Peter, really it's a letter. It's a letter from this guy named Peter who was actually one of Jesus' friends. He's one of the disciples. He was very close to Jesus. And he actually would continue to live on and build the church that Jesus wanted to build. Jesus looked at Peter and said, I'm going to start a church, and Peter, you're going to begin it. And so this letter, 2 Peter, is actually the last correspondence that we see Peter write to the church. And that's important because of what he's going to say. Peter is essentially on his deathbed. And not because he's sick, but because the Roman emperor has hunted him down, has him in jail, and he will soon be executed by this guy named Nero. And so Peter's at this moment where he's like, I got the last possible thing to say to these people about how to live life the best. He's been building the church and living after watching Jesus live and die and resurrect and rise from the dead. For 30 years, he's been doing this. And now at the very end, he's like, I need to tell them how to live. I gotta tell them these one last thing. And in telling this one last thing, we really get a glimpse into who Peter is. And I love the fact that Peter is gonna be a mentor for us over the next few weeks, because Peter is very similar to us. Peter is somebody, if you don't know who he is, he's somebody who let his emotions control him all the time. Like he lost them, he would do crazy emotional things. Raise your hand if you've ever lost your emotions in a way that you weren't really happy about afterwards. Anyone? Okay, good, y'all are all better than me. Great, it's because I'm an emotional basket case half the time. Peter also would say really dumb things. Like putting his foot, put his foot in his mouth all the time. Anyone ever said something stupid that you immediately regretted? Yesterday, exactly, okay? Peter had a lot of questions about his faith. We see him fail in his faith so many times. Anyone ever had questions about your faith? Something you didn't understand? Exactly, I'm just making you work out today, right? We're all gonna raise our hand. Because in Peter, we find someone who is an incredible mentor for us to learn from. See, Peter in his life would look at you and he would say, listen, I get it. I've gotten it wrong so often. So let me tell you how to get it right. Because at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We all want to get it right. We all want to get this thing called life right. You want to get school right. You want to get dating right so that one day you can maybe get marriage right. You want to get friendships right. Hopefully you want to get money right. You want to figure it out. You want to figure out your future. You want to get that right. You want to get a job right. Everything in life we want to get right. You're here, so I'm assuming that a lot of you want to get faith right. But here's what happens to us. In our pursuit of getting things right, doing it the right way, of finding and achieving the life that we want, we develop our hustle. We develop our ability to achieve our goals, to work really hard, to get where we want to go, and we grab all this control that we call our hustle. And we all have it. We all know what it's like. Some of you are like, I don't know what that's like because I don't do anything because I'm in college. <laughs> okay, it's fine. But as you become an adult, you'll understand that you got to work hard at things. It takes intentionality. But here's the problem. That hustle that you develop very quickly becomes hurried. And your hurried hustle can ruin your rhythms of your life so fast. You see all the time in stories of people that fail as they get older, that they find success and then they find out that it's actually empty. 
And I don't want that for you. Because what happens is, whenever you allow your hurried hustle to run your life, you want more in life, you want better in life, but you very quickly start to see that the more in life escapes you and all you're left with is living with less. With less confidence, with less security, with less of your dreams. They're not dreams, now they're nightmares. And so how do we avoid this? How do we actually get it right? And over the next few weeks, we wanna talk about this. We wanna talk about this reality so that you can figure out how we can take our hustle, our desire to get it right, and get it to flow within our faith, to find the best possible rhythms of your life. Because again, that's what we all want. And that's what Peter is gonna tell us how to find. So I'm really excited for this conversation of where we're gonna go because I think it's gonna be one that's gonna land with you now and later. It's gonna be one you can walk away with. And so tonight, tonight what I wanna be able to do is to dive into 2 Peter chapter one to start to examine a few things. My hope for tonight is that I'm gonna get you to investigate what it is that you believe. I want you to start to think about the things that you're coming in here with about your faith, about your life, about your rhythms, I want to put into question some of the stuff that you may have been holding on to, some assumptions that you may have, to really figure out what it is that you believe and why what you believe actually has a massive impact on your life. What happens right up here when it comes to life will actually determine your life. I'd say it this way, your view of God, ultimately where we're going tonight, can unlock your best possible life. Your view of God, how you view God, it can unlock your best possible life. Whatever it is that comes into your mind is gonna really, really matter when it comes to God. Now, when I was in high school, I don't know if anything like you, give you a little of my story. I told you last week, and note to self, I grew up in a house where Jesus was the center, but it was very much a faith that was adopted from my family. Like my parents put Jesus in a little box that their experience gave them, and they said, here, this is who he is. And I just had to live with this little box for forever. And whenever my parents believed about Jesus became what I believed. And then whenever my church talked about with Jesus became what I believe. And then whatever I heard from culture around me about Jesus is what I started to believe. And so in high school, I knew a lot about God and about Jesus, but I didn't really pursue a relationship to get to know him. I may have known a lot about him, but I didn't truly know him. And really, my faith was built around whatever the church told me. And so the church that I grew up in was very high on legalism. Let me tell you real quick something about me. I hate it. I hate legalism. Legalism can go back to hell where it was created. I don't play it. I don't like it. It's not free. It's not the gospel. Let's get rid of it. But that's what I grew up with. Legalism was my thing. And I thought, my view of God, that I had to earn my way to getting his love. I thought that if I was good enough, something in my life would unlock within my faith to be able to live all these stories I would hear about Jesus and who he was. And my best possible life meant that I had to do everything right. And so this is how I grew up. And it made me really think that I had a church problem. I was like, I got a church problem. This church keeps telling me the wrong thing. Because I got to college, and in college I had some friends that introduced me to this idea, this big idea, you ready? called grace. And I was like, "Mm -mm, no, I don't play that. Because grace, you can't earn it. You can't track it. You can't quantify it. It's not something that you deserve. Like that doesn't compute in my legalistic brain. I don't know that I like this grace thing. 
And they kept pushing me. They kept pushing me. They were like, no, but you're living in a little jail cell. You're not free. Let me show you what the freedom of Jesus looks like. And so through college, I started to learn about grace and the rhythms of grace. And I thought that my experience in high school meant I had a church problem. I had to find a different church that actually teaches grace. And then I had a conversation my senior year that showed me I don't have a church problem. I have a God problem. There's something about my view of God that is completely off. And it all happened over lunch. So I told you last week, if you were here, a little of my story getting into ministry. I have this hero of mine, this person in my life named Kevin Queen, who invited me to be his intern my senior year in college. And it was like, so fast, yes, I'm in, let's go. Because I loved him, I respected him, I honored him, I wanted to follow him. And so in the exact same lunch before he offered me the internship, he said something else that changed my life. Because Kevin looked at me and he would always try to challenge me. He'd always be like, hey, I'm gonna push buttons on you so that you're gonna learn in ways that you didn't ask for. And I was like, thanks a lot. And so he'd look at me and say these profound things that I was supposed to like grasp and understand. And then one time he said, hey, Matt, leaders are readers. So what are you reading? And I was like, are you serious? That like of all the things you could ask, you're asking what I'm reading? And I was also a little embarrassed because I was an English major in college who never read my assignments. So like, Christian, your test, I just wouldn't show up. I was not good at this, okay? But I'm like, all right, I gotta be reading something. So at the time, I was reading a book that I felt like I was going to blow his socks off with. Like, this is gonna be profound. He's gonna be impressed. This is gonna be incredible. He said, so Matt, what are you reading? And I said, The Chronicles of Narnia. And he was like, are you for real? And I was like, whoa, whoa, how are you not impressed? He goes, I don't know, I just wasn't expecting Narnia. I'm like, it's a talking lion, Kevin. What's more incredible than a talking lion that's Jesus, Kevin? He wasn't impressed. And so I was like, all right, fine, I'll rebound it on him. I was like, well, what are you reading? And he goes, the knowledge of the holy. And I was like, gee, come on, man. Like, I'm, okay, I get it, you're better than me, fine. I said, who's it by? He said, this theologian named A.W. Tozer. He said, here's the book. He pulls it out of his bag, slides it across the table, like, dude, I quit. I'm done, right? I take it back. I won't be your intern. He said, open it up. And so I open it up and I start to look at this book and said, this guy, A.W. Tozer, super smart, loves Jesus, has unlocked a lot of my understanding of, of God by reading this book. And so I open it up and I kid you not, the first line on the first page, the first chapter of this book is a quote that I have memorized and has probably been more impactful on my life and my faith than any other non-gospel quote in my life. Because A.W. Tozer begins this book by saying this profound statement that's gonna speak to where we're going tonight and spoke to me in that season when I was in college as well. Here's what he says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm gonna say it again for the people in the back. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now that's profound because you could say there are a lot of important things about you, your identity, the things you do, the things you're involved in. But what Tozer is saying is effectively, your entire life is shaped by your view of God. And your view of God can unlock your best possible life. And so I wanna challenge maybe the things that you thought about God. I wanna challenge maybe the conceptions that you have about him. Maybe you're just like me and you feel like you have to earn God's love. That's how I was when I was in your shoes. 
Maybe you feel like God isn't for you because things haven't happened the way you want. Maybe you feel like God is just bringing you grief all the time and he doesn't really want to show you compassion. Maybe you feel like things aren't working out because God is against you because you've done something. Maybe you feel like God hates you or he's mad at you or he's against you for the decisions you've made. Whatever it is that you believe about God, I want to begin to challenge it because Peter at the very beginning of 2 Peter is gonna to start to show us how important our knowledge of God truly is for our faith. And so when he goes in, he dives into this letter to the church, remember he is at the end of his life and he's like, I got one thing to say and it very much matches the wisdom of Tozer. And so here's how Peter begins in verse two. He says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. And if you just wanna pause, I love that he starts this letter this way because I think he's like, yes, I'm writing to a specific people at a specific church, but guys, this is what we all want. Like whether you follow Jesus or not and someone was like, hey, would you like some peace in your life? No one's gonna be like, no, I don't like that. Mm, no, get it out of here. I don't do peace. No, everyone's gonna be like, yes, please. I would love to have more peace. And even if you don't understand grace like I did, you can understand the concept of that this is something that's positive. And so Peter's saying, what I want for you is for God to give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. And so right off the bat, Peter starts to present this idea that your ability to find the best life, the more in life, the grace, the peace, the things that you desire in life, your future, it actually may rest on your knowledge of who God is and who Jesus is to you. And so maybe there's some things tonight that you need challenged. Maybe there's some misconceptions that you walked in here with God. Maybe there's some lies that you've been believing that you've been attributing to your own life and I just wanna unlock them for you so that you can start to find the life that you want. You wanna get it right. So how can we do that? Well, Peter keeps going. Here's what he says in verse three. He says, so by his divine power, love this, by his divine power, by God's divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. In other words, God alone in his power of what he's done has made it possible and provided for you to find everything, not that you want, not that you think you might want, no, everything that you need to live the life that you may desire within your faith. God has given you every possibility to go find it. So because he's given that, here's how he continues. He says, and we have received all of this by coming to know him. Again, our knowledge. We've received all of this, everything that we may need by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And so because of what Jesus has done, we have a possibility available to us to get to know who God is. And by knowing who God is, we can find everything that we need. That's how we backwards math when he's working on here. He keeps going, verse four, he says, and because of his glory, because of his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And so right now at this moment, you've come to a crux in the conversation. Because Peter is saying that what it is you know about God, what it is that you believe about God, what comes into your mind when you think about God, it is of the utmost importance to you finding everything that you need and want in life. And now he says, and 
when you start to know that, here's these things that he's given you. He's given you promises. But maybe this is where we get tripped up. Maybe you're like, no, I got a good understanding of who God is. I got a good understanding of his character. I get that he loves me. I get that he's for me. I get that, I get that you know, he actually cares about me. He wants a relationship with me. You may know all of those things, but until you truly believe what it is that he says and you understand the promises that he's made, your knowledge of him, it goes with the wind. It's too easy to be shaken because you have nothing to ground yourself on. And so if you're looking at this and you're like, cool, we've been given great and precious promises. The next logical question in my mind when I read this is awesome. What are those promises? Like, what are they? What are the things that Jesus has promised to us that we can anchor ourselves to as we try to find this more and better life? As we want to get life right, we want to get this thing right, this thing called faith, this thing called life, this thing called school, this thing of your future. As we get it right, what are the things that we can anchor ourselves to? Not just about who God is, but what he's said and what he's promised. And so for me, one of the promises that I have anchored myself to, that I think is one of the most important promises that Jesus makes, but also has shaped the way that I view everything of the way I view him, it comes from Jesus himself. And so in John chapter 10, Jesus is sitting there with a crowd of people around him, and he starts to use this language to get them to understand who he is. And the language that he starts to use is this language of shepherding. He starts to talk about sheep and a shepherd and a caretaker. And so in John chapter 10, verse 9, he goes into this promise about his character and who he is and why he even showed up. So look what he says in John chapter 10, verse 9. This is the message version. I love the language of how they've written this for us to understand. He says, I am the gate. I just envision it, right? I'm the gate. And anyone who goes through me, through me into where you want to go, they will be cared for. They will freely go in and out, and they will find pasture. And even that idea right there, anyone who enters into the next part of their life of wherever they're going, if they do it through me, they will be cared for. I think the older I get, the more I realize how much I want to be cared for. And not just taking care of, like when I was a kid. Like, again, I got five little children and I've watched each of them as they grow up need me to care for them less. Like my three-year-old went away to the beach with my in-laws for a week and before she left, she gave us hugs and she was nervous and gave us kisses and she needs to be taken care of. And so we've, she's FaceTimed with us. She needs to know that we're there every single day. Even though she's being, being taken care of by her grandparents, she needs to know that we're still there, we're still present. Today, my nine-year-old and my, old, my other two oldest girls went with my parents for a few days because we're moving this week. And as they went away, my nine-year-old was like, cool, see you, dad. And I was like, I'm, I used to, I used to cuddle you at night. I used, to, I used to take care of you, right? Like He doesn't even necessarily take care of him in the same way. So as I've gotten older, I don't need my mom to show up and take care of me when I get sick. Would it be nice? Sure, but I don't need that, right? Like when you're in college, you're like, I may need my parents to do my laundry. Guys, grow up. You can do it yourself, right? Because one day you're gonna have a spouse and you're gonna have to figure it out, right? You don't need to be taken care of the older that you get, but you still have this desire to be cared for. 
To know that someone will care for you. Know that someone's heart is towards you. Know that you are wanted. To know that you are desired. This is a promise of the character of Jesus that he has towards you. And so then he keeps on this language of this promise that he's giving to us. And he starts to talk about what happens once something comes into the gate. He starts to talk about the adversary that all of us have. And the challenges and the trials and the troubles that we face in life. And he uses it in the language of a thief. He says, a thief, once you come in, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. Now, you may have heard this scripture before. You may have heard Jesus say this before. You may have read this before. But I need you to understand the nuance of what he's actually saying. I'm the gate, and I'm going to take care of you. But then things are still going to try to find you in life, still going to try to get inside that gate, and they're still going to try to do whatever they can to take you out. And then even if you've decided to follow Jesus, even if you've gone through that gate and you've trusted in him, the enemy may look at you, the thief may look at you and say, I can't destroy you, but man, I can distract you. I can take you out from the promises of what God may have for you because you've become so distracted by fear, so distracted by lies, so distracted by anxiety. I'm gonna do whatever I can to steal and kill and destroy everything that God may wanna do in your life. That's what the thief it's constantly trying to do. But Jesus says that I, Jesus has come so that they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. So in this moment, Jesus is saying, guys, this is why I'm here. I showed up for this reason. So that you can have more and better life than you ever dreamed of. And if we're honest, that's what we all want. Not a single one of you are like, you know what I can't wait for to happen in life? Nightmares to come true. Yep, I know. They're the greatest. They happen over and over and over. And then they're going to happen in real life. And then ghosts are going to start walking through walls with knives. And they're going to be clowns because all clowns are evil. Like, no, no one would ever want that. We don't want our nightmares to come true. We want our dreams to come true. And what Jesus is promising is that the life he offers you is more than you could ever dream of. And so for me, when I start to understand that this is actually true of him, it shapes the way I view him and it shapes the way I view everything else that happens in my life. Because if he truly wants the more and the best for me, then whenever something happens to me that I didn't ask for or I may not have wanted, rather than look at God and say, you must not love me. You must be against me. What have I done wrong? If he wants more and better and best for me, then I can look at him and say, I don't get it, I didn't ask for it, I didn't want it, but I trust you. And when I have the ability to say, God, I don't like this, but I trust you, it takes away my need to hustle. It takes away my need to manipulate and to manufacture and to manifest whatever my future may be. Because I can say, Jesus, I trust you because of your promise that you want more and better life for me. More and better life, real life, greater than I can ever dream of. If that's true, then I can trust you. I can trust what you say. I can trust who you are. And I can navigate any situation in my life. The confidence that you can find in your faith when that becomes real, it unlocks your ability to find the best possible life. Because your view of God can unlock your best possible life. 
Peter finishes the thought by saying, these, these things, this knowledge, these are the promises that enable you. They unlock for you the ability to share his divine nature, God's divine nature. Does that mean, and you're gonna become God. Nope, sorry, newsflash, you're not. But it's gonna give you the ability to navigate situations with the same confidence, the same character, the same humility of who Jesus was. He is going to share with you his divine nature and allow you to escape the world's corruption. And we so oftentimes get hung up on like, ooh, the world. Like, no, the natural depravity of the human desires that you have that are not good and are not best, that you all know what they are, you get to escape those things, the world's corruption caused by human desires. When you believe this, when you understand this, when you know something about God, it unlocks your ability to find the best possible life. When you start to pursue that, that is how you allow your hustle to fit into the flow of your faith. That's how you focus on a certain thing moving forward where it's not about me, it's really about you and I can trust you because I know something about you to be true. So, that's all great and it's really good to know, but it's not enough. Because Peter isn't saying, so, glad you know something, have fun, I'm gonna go die now because Nero, is, mm, he sucks. No, he's not leaving you just with knowledge. He's giving you action items. He's saying, so now that you know that, now that you're aware, now that you've started to figure out who it is that you believe God to be, now there's something you do with it. And I love where this is the action comes in. This is what you go and do. It's not just what you know, it's what you can do. And so he continues on in verse five, he says, so in view of all of this, in view of it all, in view of everything we've learned, in view of the knowledge you can find of God, how he gives you everything that you need, the promises of who God is, how you can anchor yourself to that, that whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. In view of all of this, I want you to make every effort. I want you to try, I want you to work, I want you to focus to respond to God's promises. See, it's not just that you would believe something about God, it's that you would respond to something about God. Jesus says that even the demons believe who he is and they shudder. Believing alone is not following. And what Jesus invites us to do is never to, hey, come believe in me. He says, no, come follow me. And so make every effort to respond to God's promises. And when you respond to God's promises, it does something to your faith. It unlocks it, it enlightens it, it grows it, and you start to find what the real life actually is. You start to take that hustle and you start to fit it into the flow of your faith. And so here's what he says to do. He says, I want you to, I want you to take your faith and I want you to build on it. I want you to learn about it. I want you to practice some things. How many of you work out like Okay, do you even lift, bro? Yeah. Um, since I started having kids, I have dad bod. That's what this is. Yeah. These shirts are very intentional and they hide my love handles. I used to work out all the time. And I had friends that were psycho about it. And every time they'd work out and go and grow their muscles, they wouldn't just simply go and sling weight around. No, they were psycho. They would take all the supplements and all the HGH and all the creatine and all the whatever to try to grow their muscles as much as they could. And I was like... I'm pretty sure that's illegal. I wouldn't do that anymore. I literally had a friend who wouldn't even like mix the creatine in to make the drink. He would just go like, cool. And he would eat it. Like, you're an animal. Stop it. He, I don't know if he's alive anymore. I think he is. But 
Like, it's not good for you to do that. But the one thing that I learned about when I started working out a lot when I was in college is I learned the value of supplements. Like, whenever you take these things that enable you to live a better life, we call them supplements. And the coolest thing is that Peter starts to look at your faith and he's like, hey, you want to grow it? Here's some supplements. Here's some things that you can use to add to your faith. He says, I want you to supplement your faith with a generous provision, your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And then moral excellence, I want you to supplement that with knowledge. And I want you to take your knowledge, I want you to supplement that with self-control. Oh, he's not done, he keeps going. I want you to take your self-control, I want you to supplement that with patient endurance. And then patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. So as you focus on these things for how you go and live your life, what he's actually showing you is that these build on top of each other. And if you're like, I didn't have time to write it down. I need a checklist. Let me make it easy for you. These are the seven supplements. This is what he is saying you get to focus on. What Peter is saying is, you want to hustle after something? Hustle after this. You want to work hard at something? Work hard at this. You wanna figure out how to unlock the more in your life? It may not be your ambition. It may be your surrender to this. He's saying you take your faith and then you supplement it with moral excellence. Does that mean that you're perfect? No, it means you're above reproach. It means that you have a moral compass within you, whether you've chosen to follow Jesus or not, you know when things are right and things are wrong. Moral excellence means even if the entire world is saying it's right, but you know it's wrong, you hold fast to that and you say no. And even if the entire world was saying, it's right, or it's wrong, and you're like, no, 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 it's actually right, you hold fast to that, and you say that it's right. There's a bar of approach that you get to live above as you get to grow your faith, as you get to live it out. These are the things that you get to learn. And as you do that, as your faith starts to get action of this moral excellence, you'll start to see that you can have knowledge that comes in. Because now it's not just that I'm being a morally good person. I'm starting to understand who God is and why he's calling me to do that. Why are you wanting me to be set apart in the way that I live? Oh, because as I follow Jesus, the thing that's gonna show people that I follow Jesus isn't the things that I know, it's the things that I do. Like even the simplest little things. How many of you ever heard of taking the Lord's name in vain? You ever heard of that phrase before? All right, growing up, I used to hear like, don't ever take the Lord's name in vain. It's one of the 10 commandments. I used to think, so don't ever say, gosh darn it, but the mean one, right? Don't ever say GD. You can say any other cuss word you want. You don't say GD. GD it. I mean, like, I, that's really what I thought it was. No. That's not what taking the Lord's name in vain means. Taking the Lord's name in vain mean, means that you say you follow Jesus, but your lifestyle never backs it up. Because what you're doing is you're projecting out to the world an image of Jesus that's not accurate to who he is. So when you have a knowledge of who he is, your moral excellence is backed up by the desire to follow him. When I choose to follow Jesus, it's not that now I've got all this right and wrong that I've gotta go live out. That's called legalism. And it's not now that grace is so, is so large in my life that I can go do whatever I want. That's called relativism, no. Whenever I choose to follow Jesus, the knowledge that I have, I get to go and look at Jesus and say, now I'm enabled to want to follow you. Because before I followed you, I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. 
And so my knowledge enhance, is enhanced by this moral excellence and then self-control. This is hard to do. It is not easy to control yourself. The greatest thing I love to say to my kids as they're little, and it's super unfair because they can't do it yet, but I'm like, I don't care, you're gonna learn. I ask them all the time, do you control your emotions or do your emotions control you? Are you controlling your emotions right now? Or are your emotions controlling you? And they're like, I'm five. And I'm like, I don't care. All right, we're gonna learn this. Do you control your emotions or do your emotions control you? This is learning self-control. Why do I wanna live with self-control? Because I have a knowledge of who God is and what he asks for me that enables me to go and live set apart. So now I don't have to be thrown by the desires of my life. I can learn to have patient endurance. Regardless of what happens, I don't need to escape to go get a feeling. I don't need to manage my emotions by finding some outlet that may be unhealthy. I can choose to see my circumstances and say, all right, I can deal with this. God, you're enough. Jesus, you've given me everything that I need. So I wanna keep learning more about you. I wanna keep drawing near to you so that I can find what this best possible life is that you're saying you're offering to me. And when I do that, I start to live with godliness. Now, this doesn't mean you start to live like God. No, it means that you start to live in reverence towards him. When you live with godliness, what it means is that your entire life is wrapped around him. You start to live for his kingdom before your kingdom. And everyone else starts to see that there's something of holiness that lives within you, not because of your moral perfection, but because of your focus on the one who is holy. And when that happens, it enables you to go and look around to others and to give affection towards them. And that doesn't mean like in a sexual way. Brotherly affection, phileo, this word called love of a brotherly type of love. It means I can look at my friends and I can actually truly wanna lift them up. It means I can look at them and I can become their champion because I'm no longer against them. It means that I can celebrate somebody whenever they do something great. I don't have to try to race to the front of the line and push everybody and leave a wake of bodies behind me to try to get where I gotta go. Now I can sit there and I can raise other people up just like Jesus did for you. Now you can look at your friends and you can do that. But listen, it's really easy to do that with your friends. And once you learn to do that with your friends, the next hard part is to do that for your enemies. It's to look at the people who don't, who don't love you and choose to love them anyways. It's to give unconditional love. That means giving love to someone without condition, the condition being that they love you. What would it look like to love everyone? And so again, if you've come in here tonight and you're trying to figure out this thing of faith and you wanna get it right, there is no greater reason why you should choose to follow Jesus than the fact that even if you don't love him, he loves you. The unconditional love that we get to live with is because we see it given from God to us first. He loves us first. And so if you wanna unlock the best possible life that he's designed for you, you figure out how to live with an unconditional love for everyone. Now I don't have to be offended when I'm left out. Now I can look at them and say, awesome, you need this experience. I pray that you find all the oxygen that you need in this next season. Now I don't have to be offended when someone does something against me. Now I don't have to take it against someone else when they're against me, no. My offense doesn't have to build a fence. I can simply go and love the other person. It unlocks my ability to live the full life. Why? Because my faith has been supplemented by all these things. And Peter ends by saying, so the more that you grow like this, the more you hustle like this, 
the more productive and the more useful that you will be in your knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. I don't want you to constantly live like you have to strive for everything you want. But whenever you choose to allow your hurried hustle to ruin your rhythms, what you're doing is you're constantly striving but never thriving. And what Jesus wants for you is to unlock the best possible life for you to thrive, to find the best possible job one day, to find the best possible community one day, to find the best possible marriage one day, to be the best possible parents one day. Is the best possible mean perfect? No, but it means that you have surrendered and trusted what he wants to do for you. And what Peter is imploring you to do in this letter is to learn about him and allow that knowledge of him to enable you to act a certain way, to live a certain life, the best possible life. That's how you make your hustle fit into the flow of your faith. So I want you to consider some things. Hopefully this stirs some things in your brain, makes you think about some misconceptions you may have about God, about our Jesus, and what he wants for you. But here's some things I want you to consider this week because we're gonna continue this conversation next time. What does your hustle say that you're actually working to build? What does your hustle say that you're actually working to build? Call it what it is. Are you working to build your kingdom or his? Are you working to build your name or his? There's a whole other message in this, but one thing I've learned in this last season is that ambition is never celebrated. Personal ambition is never celebrated in the Bible. So what is your hustle saying that you're actually working to build? Number two, if you know and you believe God's promises, then what's keeping you from trusting him? If you actually believe them, if you actually know them, when you start to learn them, what is it that's keeping you from trusting? Because there may be some block, there may be some gate, there may be some fence that you've put up, some shield, some defensive mechanism. What is it? What's keeping you from trusting them? And third, which of the seven supplements my language. Which of the seven supplements from those verses do you need to work on first? Because remember, they build in progression. So I'm going to pray for y'all, and then next week we're going to keep going. And next week I'm really excited because this is a lot of what we need to know, and next week we're going to talk about why we know it, and why we believe it, and why we would choose to follow it. So let me pray for y'all, and then we got three things. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for desiring our best life. And thank you that our best life so often doesn't line up with what we think is best. God, I'm thankful that you know our hearts better than us because so many times we are deceived by our ideas of what best actually is. So God, I pray that in this next season, you would reveal what the best possible life is for these students. That every single person under my voice, students and leaders alike, that they would come to know who you are and that that would shape the way that they live their life. God, I pray that whatever comes into their minds when they think about you would become so anchored in truth that they would be able to be proud of the fact that it's the most important thing about them. So Father, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you do it tenderly? Would you draw near to us as we draw near to you? And would you take all of our efforts that we're going to make to pursue you? God, I pray that your blessing would be on the other side of that. I pray that we would see you every step along the way because in that we're gonna to get to continue to know who you are.
and how much you love us. So thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.